All right. Well, hey, I'm excited to be here this morning. So my name is Cameron Bundy. I'm the pastor of adults here at the church and uh, filling in for Craig today. So I'm excited to bring God's word to you. Uh, Now, I've been hanging out with the residents recently. I don't know if you know what a resident is, but a resident is someone who is coming under our wings for the year to really train and be developed uh, in order to really be the next generation leadership in our churches here in the country, but also all around the world. And so Uh, We've got three of them here on staff right now, and so part of their initiation program was we're going to take them axe throwing. Anybody in the room been here axe throwing? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Some of you? Okay. Well, we wanted to test their hunting, you know, uh, instincts, see if they could, if they could really go out and, you know, get their, get their food, you know. And so we, uh, we lined them up on the target and we tried to throw the axe and get the apple off top of their head. You know, that, that didn't work out. I'm just messing with you. Anyway, so you can see there at the picture, I'm smiling in this picture, but man, it was, it was fun. But man, I, I am not a good axe thrower, okay? Uh, it's very challenging if you've ever been axe throwing. You go over there and you're like, okay, especially as a man, you know, you kind of go, I got this. Like, I'm going to go back to my ancestryhood and I'm going to pick up an axe and I'm going to throw it across the room and then boom, I'm going to hit it. I, that wasn't working for me, right? The instructor who was the expert, you see what I did there? You know, he was the expert. He, uh, he showed us, he instructed us, he taught us. And I just could not get it to stick. I mean, one after another, it was just clunk, it just fell to the ground. All the while, I get to watch the guy next to me in the other bay throw with such finesse that his friends were like, how does he do that? How does he throw an axe like that? And I'm over here like, man, I'm trying, I'm supposed to be training these residents on what it's supposed to look like. Anyway, so then something began to change while we're throwing axes. I keep coming back to the safe zone, you know, where you don't get chopped with the axe, you know, they got the tape on the floor. And so I come back to the safe zone and one of our residents, Caleb, which I don't know, I don't know if he even knows he was doing this, but I was coming back and he goes, hey, Cameron, I think that maybe you're just, you're releasing too early. Maybe if you maintain a tight grip all the way through the throw that you'll actually probably nail the target. I was like, okay, maybe, let's see what happens. So I go back up, it's my turn. I maintain a tight grip all the way through the throw and then I make it. I was like, boom, made it, yes. So I go back and I'm like, okay, Caleb, what else do I got to do? He's like, okay, I think your, foot, your footing's wrong, right? You got your left foot and your right foot's forward. You might need to change it like this. And then when you throw the ax, you're, you're going to hit the board. I'm like, okay. So I go back, change my footing again. And man, I was not an expert, but man, I was throwing an ax really well. Man, I was like, okay, now I'm getting it. But here's what changed is that I knew everything about, I mean, I could know everything about ax throwing. I studied it on Google. I mean, I was watching him. He was demonstrating it for me. But it wasn't until someone coached me on what to do that I began to really understand what I was supposed to do to begin with. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder how many of you this morning walked in and you've had something like that in your own life. Right, a sport or a hobby or some position in your job. Or even maybe, hey, have you ever seen those life hacks on social media? You know, where they're like, hey, if you just do this and that, and then you go out and do it, and you try to do it, and you're like, man, that just didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work, right? I mean, you had studied it meticulously. I mean, you, you, you figured it out. You're like, man, I, I've seen the demonstrations. I thought I could get it done. And then when you actually put it into practice, it's like, gosh, that does not look like that example, you know? And, and, then, and then for you, what really happens is that when someone begins to coach you, begins to model for you what it's supposed to look like, that you really then begin to develop the competency, right? You begin to develop the skill for that one thing that you're trying to do. And the Christian life is very, very much like that. You know, we come to church, you know, we give our lives to Jesus. We may join a community group, right? We do that, that dangerous thing, you know, when you step in a room and you go, okay, I'm going to belong to a community, you know, like that's a very scary moment and you try to do that and then you're like, okay, maybe I'll try to go serve and, and hopefully I don't mess up the greeting team or wreck a golf cart, right? You know, and so you get into that and then finally you, you go, 
okay, but how does this thing actually work? You know, what is, how do I actually live as a Christian? I mean, I see all these other Christians experiencing the power and the presence of Jesus in their lives, but I'm not really seeing that in my own life. I mean, how am I supposed to experience that? What, what am I supposed to do? And so you long for, and you even maybe believe the lie that's unattainable for you, that you're just too messed up and that you, you can never attain that level of spirituality. And let me tell you today, church, is that God has put his power and presence in his people. And he wants to release it, but in order to release it, there is some training we have to go through. There's some development we have to go through in order to really begin to see that played out in our life. And so what we've been doing is been going through this series called The Invitation. And we've been looking at different invitations that Jesus gives to his disciples. He said, come and see. Come check it out. Kick the tires. See what I'm about. See if my claims are really true. And then he says, come and follow me, right? And he says, all right, now I want you to devote time to me. I want you to be devoted to me in a relationship and really begin to grow with me. And then the third invitation we're going to see today is really this, this call to a higher commitment, right? It's this call to greater encouragement and accountability to say, okay, now I'm not only just following Jesus, but now I'm beginning to learn and be developed by him and being transformed by him. And, and, and I, we all go through that. This is an invitation for all of us today. In fact, if I was to pull the room, pull the room today and say, okay, how many of you are in the come and follow me phase? I'm sure probably about 80, 85% of you would say, I'm there. I got a group. I know Jesus. I've been baptized. What's my next step? This is your next step. So I want you to listen closely to this because this invitation could very be the missing piece. This could be the very much the next step that you need in your walk with Jesus. So read with me Mark chapter 3. Uh, verse 7 through 19. So get your Bibles out. You know the drill. You got this. And then when you get there, uh, say word. All right. We're getting there. Perfect. So this is the word of God. So Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea. And a large crowd followed him from Galilee. And a large crowd followed him from Judea, Jerusalem, Udame, beyond the Jordan, around Tyre, Sidon, the large crowd came to him because they, were, they heard everything about what he was doing. Uh, then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing towards him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And when he strongly warned them not to make him known. There everybody say, Jesus. Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve, and he also named apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John he gave the name Boangris, that is, the sons of thunder. That's a pretty cool name. Could you imagine having a nickname like that? Mm. Andrew, Philip, and Barth Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed Jesus, betrayed him. Now, here is uh, really, I want to I catch us up on what's going on here, right? Because we're kind of entering into this scene that's, that's been going on, right? There's this scene that's been taking place, and there's this movement that's beginning to form. Right, Jesus has been walking with his disciples for some two full years now, saying, come and see, come and follow me. And they've been exploring Jesus. They've been devoted to Jesus. And now it's beginning to, this movement is beginning to form, it's beginning to grow. In fact, you see it in the passage, don't you? That this crowd begins to form and they're pressing in on Jesus and his crew. And Jesus says, okay, in order not to be crushed by them, let's sail out into the water. 
right? And so everywhere they go, Jesus rolls up and a crowd follows. And so he's constantly like, okay, I'm here. And then the crowd's here. And you're like, okay, we got to back up because we're about to get crushed by them. They're all trying to touch me so they can be healed. And it's a really electrifying moment. I mean, it's this very awestruck moment of like, man, this is the man. This is the Messiah. We travel days and miles to be with him. And as as this movement grows, Jesus then begins to realize that a shift has to take place in his ministry. That though he is leading this, this movement by himself, it's time to now begin to develop other people and deploy them into the mission in order to lead, the, to, to lead this movement forward. And you see that. In fact, I want to give you a little bit more detail. This is one account of this. And another account in Luke chapter uh, 6 uh, gives us a little bit more detail on what exactly is happening here whenever he goes out in the boat in the water and between uh, him going up, uh, going to the mountain and calling his disciples. And Luke gives us this detail. He says this in Luke 6, verses 12 through 13. He says, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he came to the disciples, uh, or called the disciples to him and chose the 12. Right, so Luke gives us a little bit more detail, right? You kind of have this scenario where the crowds are moving in. He goes out on the boat in the water. And at some point, he then goes up to this mountain to go pray to, in order to select the men that he would invest his life in to carry on this movement. It's a transition. It's really this going into this another phase and saying, okay, now it's time to make a change. That, that, that now these disciples are going to move from being devoted to him to now becoming developing and deployed in the mission of God. Right, and that when we're looking at these invitations that Jesus is calling to the higher levels of accountability, higher levels of commitment and saying, I want you to come and be with me, right? Come and, and follow me, come and see who I am about. Now, a lot of times when we think about the appointment of the 12, right, they called them the apostles. Apostles were ones who were sent. That word apostle literally means one who is sent. And when we think about choosing the 12, many people are like, well, what does he mean that he chose the 12? And what significance does that have? Well, there's a lot of different varying ideas out there. It could be that it is a tip of the hat to the 12 tribes of Israel. Or it could be this. It could be that Jesus understood that in order to develop and train people, in order to carry on this movement, it doesn't happen in the thousands. It doesn't happen in the hundreds. But it happens in the small group setting. It happens when men gather with men, when women gather with women, and they begin to really go, okay, what does God's word say? How do we apply this to our lives? Hey, did you apply that? What can we do to change the way that we're living according to God's word? Jesus understood that real life transformation happens in small groups. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. He appoints the 12. And I want you to hear what he says right here, verse 14. Come and be with me. That's the third invitation, right? You had come and see, come follow me. Now he's saying, come and be with me, right? They're moving from being devoted to now being developed and now being deployed into the mission of God. Do you see that? But to this invitation, there's two parts. I want you to see it. He says to come and be with me. And then he says, then he sends them out to preach. So I want you to circle those two phrases in your Bible. These are two parts of the invitation, He says to be with me and then I'm going to send you out to preach. Why is this important? Because I want to break this down for you. The first part is that this invitation is a call to a relationship. It's a call to a relationship. Core to the Father's heart is a relationship. It's not that we try to do harder or try to train harder in order to earn his favor. No, we don't earn his favor by doing more things for him. In fact, the truth is, is that it's our being with Jesus that precedes our doing for him. There's nothing that we can offer him. There's nothing that we can do to appease God. Only what Jesus has been able to accomplish. So we are called to be in a relationship with Jesus. In fact, in Psalm 51, 
verses 16 through 17, the psalmist writes this, that God does not take delight in our sacrifices or accomplishments, but through a broken and contrite heart. So even again here, the psalmist is reinforcing this idea that, that we are first called to a relationship, that we're broken and humbly walking before God and we're in this relationship with him and that there's no accomplishment, there is no task we can do to win our favor with him. Only what Jesus has been able to accomplish are we right before God. And this invitation is now saying, okay, now I want you to begin to be developed. I want you to begin to be trained to carry on this movement. Now, some of the most impactful times in my own life is when I've actually gotten in a small group with men and we begin to study the scripture. We begin to memorize scripture. We begin to go, okay, hey, what are you learning? How are you going to apply that this week? And then we come back the following week and we go, did you apply that? Right? And then we hold each other accountable. Why? Because, guys, the, the way that you grow as a Christian is not through the accumulation of knowledge, not that alone, though that is an important key element to it, there's another element to that is that then you begin to put it into practice. You begin to have hands-on training on how, what does it look like to, to talk with God? What does it look like to pray? What does it look like to share my faith? These are things that even in my own life, I still have to be developed in, that I still have to begin to understand what does that look like for me? So he calls us into a relationship. The second thing is this, he then calls us into a mission. Right, so out of our being with him, we are now called to go do something. He says, you are to go out and preach. Now, hold on. I already know what you just did. Your whole mind just went click. That's not for me. You said preach. That's what you do, Cameron. That's what Pastor Craig does. That's what the people up here in this platform do. They preach. There is a form of that. There is a type of preaching that, that is describing what I do. But the preaching here is an idea that is proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know. That's a job for you, and it's a job for you, and it's a job for you. It's a job for all of us in this room. We are all called to proclaim the gospel. So he says, all right, I want you to be with me. I'm going to train you, I'm going to develop you, and I'm going to send you out on a mission. And here, just listen to me real quick. Look, you don't need a seminary degree, okay? You, you don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. You get what I'm saying? All Jesus is asking for you is to be with him. And as you're being with him, he's training you and developing you in order to share your faith and go out and reach the world and leave an impact. And you see that with Jesus. If you were to walk through and see how he trained and developed his disciples, he would teach them. He would demonstrate his power to them. He would model for them what it looked like to actually live and talk and invest just like he did. He took time out to invest in these people. Because he realized that with the crowds, you can only accomplish so much. But in a small group setting, real life transformation can take place. So he calls us to a relationship. He calls us to a mission. And he's calling you today to that same thing. To come and be with him. That you may go out. That you may go reach your coworker. That you may go out and reach your neighbor, your friend, your family. That you may go out and leave an everlasting impact in this world. That's a call for all of us here today. And so Jesus then takes these disciples through three areas of training that I want to show with you today, show you today. And there are three areas of training that we also go through that he trains us in. So the first one is this, is walking with God. He trained them on how to walk with God. In fact, if we were to go to Matthew chapter 5, write that in your margin of your Bible and your notes, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. If we were to go there, this is a long message that Jesus gives to his disciples right after he appoints them. He appoints the 12 apostles and then he takes them to, the, to this mountain and then he begins to say, okay, this is what authentic Christianity looks like. And he covers topics like finances, marriage, relationships, difficult circumstances, anxieties, worries. I mean, how do you live as a believer? That he begins to express, he even begins to model what does it look like to pray? 
This is where we find the Lord's Prayer. He models that for them. He's not just teaching. He's also showing them how to live out their faith. Now, why is this important for us? Why is this important for his disciples? Because what he was doing is he was laying a solid foundation on which solid convictions could lay on. You know what I'm saying? So he was saying, okay, I need you to develop these core convictions because there's a time coming when I'm going to send you out two by two and you're going to have to really begin to believe what you believe. That you're going to have to not just be spoon fed anymore, but you're going to have to learn how to feed yourselves. You're going to have to learn how to handle your doubts. You're going to have to learn how to handle difficult circumstances and challenges and relationships. And he said, I need you to develop these core convictions. Now, can we just be real real quick? Can we just take off the, the veil and just talk freely? If there's one area that the church struggles in today, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about church in general, Big C Church, is core convictions. We struggle with core convictions. We come in here every Sunday and people go to church every Sunday, oh, I believe it, I believe it. And then they go out and they, they say otherwise. They show otherwise. In fact, if you go on the socials, if you're going on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, if you were to go on those places, you would find people deconstructing their faith. And what I mean by that is they're going, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't even think he even exists. What? These people were serving in the church. They were pastors of church. They were worship leaders in the church. And then they go, I just don't believe in him anymore. What happened? Well, I want to read you to what Jesus says right after he gives uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to listen to this. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7 verses 24 uh, through 27. This is, this, is, this is God's word right here. Look, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Everybody say rock. Okay. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Now, why did I share that with you? Because here they come down from the mountain. They have learned how to live an authentic life with Jesus. And Jesus says, you got two options. You can either take what I just taught you and begin to live that out. And you're like the man who builds his house on the rock. Or you can take what I taught you, throw it right out the window, and be just like the man who built his house on the sand. Now let's go back to what I was talking about, uh, convictions and deconstructing. A lot of people in the church rely on their skill and their talent more than their own character. What am I saying? That when you walk with the person of Jesus, he develops your character. He develops who you are. He develops these core convictions so that we build our house on the rock. And when the storm comes, we're unmovable. Why? Because Jesus is unmovable. But if we rely on our core competencies, we rely on our own talents or what we bring to the table or our accomplishments, we are like the man building a house on sand. And when the wind came and the waters came and when the storm comes, it blows our house right over and we go, I don't even know God even exists. Why? Because you're relying on what you can do and not who you're with. And that with is Jesus. So we've got to learn how to develop these core convictions just like the, he was teaching his disciples how to walk with God because that's where we get it is when we walk with God. The second area that he taught them in is reaching their world, right? How to reach your world. Jesus even modeled this for them. He modeled what does it look like to reach people where you live and where you learn, where you work and where you hang out. 
In fact, he would watch, they would watch Jesus then uh, move conversations from a casual to a personal, meaningful, spiritual, gospel conversation. They got to see Jesus do that. But here's something else they got to see. They got to see the compassionate heart of Jesus for those who don't know him. In fact, I want you to hear what, what is uh, written in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 through 38. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he, he felt compassion for them. I want you to underline that. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to his harvest. Right? So all of these things that Jesus is saying to his disciples are happening right after he appoints them. He says, I'm getting you ready. I'm training you up. I'm developing you because I'm about to send you out like sheep among wolves. It's a crazy world out there. It's difficult to live. And so I'm trying to teach you what does it look like to walk with me and how to reach. And you see the heart of Jesus here. That he had compassion. And he says, out of this compassion, he says, that the harvest is abundant. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that there will be workers sent. Now, I want you to listen to this because I've seen this thing preached way too many times. And people go, you got to pray for the laborers. You got to pray for the workers. And, and people go, amen. You know, right? Oh, yeah, I'll pray and send my money, but don't send me there. Right, don't send me to Texas. It's too hot there, right? That's what people are saying out in Portland and out in, uh, uh, you know, out in Washington. They're probably going, don't send me to Texas. 117 degrees, that's too hot. But sometimes what happens is that when we pray, God begins to align our hearts with his heart, our mission with his mission, and we are the ones who are sent. So sometimes when you begin to pray for workers, you are the worker that's going to your coworker. You are the worker that's going to your friend, to your family, to your, to your business leader, or whoever you're praying for. Typically, you are going to be the one. And so Jesus is saying, hey, here's what the heart looks like. I'm compassionate for them. And you may even be the one that's going to be the laborer that will go out and minister to them. And what I think is so fascinating is that we think today that in order to develop a compassionate heart, we've got to go to another evangelism training or go to another Bible study. I know I said it. Everybody's like, oh, no. You don't have to go to those to develop a compassionate heart. To develop a compassionate heart, you just need to walk with Jesus. Walk with others to show you how to share your faith. Because here's the deal is that Jesus' method was easy. We just complicated it here in America. Every evangelism training, training I've ever been a part of is so complicated. Here's what Jesus did. You ready? It's super simple. It's two parts. He listened well and he asked great questions. It's that easy. He listened well and he asked great questions. He was curious and he would lead people through a, a series of questions to help them begin to see who he was. He made statements, but it was very few times he would make a statement. Most often he listened and asked great questions. And every time I share my faith, I've used that method and it works. Because people want to know how much you care before how much you know. And when you ask great questions and you listen well, people begin to open up and go, man, I really don't know what I believe. And, I, and then there's a moment where you can begin to make a statement. But you must begin with listening and asking great questions. So then that's the second area. The third area that he began to develop in them was this idea of investing their life, right? He began to train them in investing their life. We see this uh, right after the encounter with the woman at the well. Jesus gets done talking to this woman and the disciples come over and uh, they, they, they ask Jesus this question. 
And you would think that Jesus would just answer the question, but he doesn't, right? He, he does, but it's a very interesting way. And uh, they said, Jesus, have you had anything to eat? And you would think this guy would just say, yeah, I had Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, or, you know, hey, I went down to Chili's, or, you know, I had some, some Rosas. No, he doesn't answer that. He, listen to what he says in John chapter 4, verse 34. He says, my will is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What kind of response is that? I mean, those disciples probably sat there and they're like, what in the world? Like, what does he mean his food is to do the will and the work of the Father? The one who sent him. Here's what he was teaching them. He said, hey, I know I, I am hungry, but sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the worries and the concerns of this world that we lose track of what is coming. We lose track of an eternal perspective. We're so caught up in the here and now, and he's telling his disciples that my, my food, my concern, what keeps me up in the middle of the night is to do my Father's will. And Jesus was showing them that his investment is completely different and that their investment as disciples and our investment as believers should be different. Our investment should be in the eternal, not in the temporary. Jesus understood the brevity of time. He understood that time is short. And I have a question to ask you. What does your portfolio look like? What does your investments look like? I'm not saying that wealth is bad. Wealth has a place. But at the end of the day, if all you have to show is, hey, I got this vacation home or I got these things or I've obtained these things, uh, man, I'm telling you, and, and you don't say, hey, these are the people that I've invested in, those things are going away. The only thing that's eternal is God's word and the souls of people. And so how can we get his word into people because they are the eternal perspective? How can we invest in people and begin to raise up more laborers, more workers for the mission of God? That is the heart of Jesus. And maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to begin. Honestly, I've been looking for someone to invest in me or I'm looking to invest in somebody, but I don't know where to begin. And the th good thing is, is that here at Cross Creek, our pastoral team has worked really hard to develop what's called the Grow Series. The Grow Series is a way for us to help be trained and also train others on how to walk like Jesus, invest like Jesus, and to begin to reach the world just like Jesus did. In fact, it's three parts. You ready for this? This is rocket science. Part one is what? You guessed it, walk with God. Oh my gosh, woo! And part two, you ready? Oh man, this is, this is crazy. Reach your world. Part three, invest your life. Why? Because these are the three areas that Jesus invested in his disciples and we wanna do the same for our people and we want you to do the same for your friends and family and coworkers. We want you to experience, what does it look like to talk with God? What does it look like to open the Bible and actually get direction from God? What does it look like to really receive grace and extend grace, to be in community? What does it look like to move a conversation from a personal all the way to a gospel conversation? What does it look like to invest my own life? In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to watch this video real quick about what exactly are, is the Grow Series and how they're done in Grow Groups. You know, I've done Bible study for a long time, almost 40 years. A grow group is so much more than a Bible study. It incorporates community, it incorporates Bible memory, it incorporates learning to listen and hear God's voice. Yes, you study God's Word, but so much more. 
The Grow Group is a group of believers who are committed to growing in their relationships with Christ and uh, with each other. Uh, it's, it's really about accountability, it's about uh, growing in your disciplines, and it's really about becoming not only a stronger disciple of uh, Jesus, but a disciple maker. Going through this discipleship series has helped me to shift my mindset on how I view the relationships that I have all around me. I now have eyes that can see each relationship as an opportunity to point them to Christ. Really by opening my eyes to see that I really do need my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not a walk that's meant to walk alone, but side by side to help encourage and to spur each other on. So there's really nothing complicated or scary or intimidating about uh, being in a grow group. Every single day it's a, it's a few pages of reading, about of answering questions, of reading scripture, scripture memory. It's really, as much as it is growing deeper in your relationship with Christ, it's also getting back to the basics of, of uh, Christianity, of reading the Bible and learning and doing what it says. And it's something that absolutely will stay with you. Uh, for the rest of your life. It's going to help you uh, to be a better disciple and to make disciples and to be bolder in your faith. When is a time that someone has poured into you? When is a time that someone has actually come along beside you and showed you what it looked like to walk with God? When is a time when someone has taught you how to reach your world with the gospel of Christ? That's what the Grow series is all about. I want you to see what it can do for you. I love that last part. I, I want to see what it can do for you. What can it do for you? Maybe you come here time and time again, you're going, man, I just don't understand. Man, I've been in a group, I've been serving, I know Jesus, but I just don't know what that next step is. And maybe the grow group is your next step. And I would love to see what it could do for you, what it could do for your family, what it could do for your community. When you begin to really grab a hold of what does it look like to live like Jesus, to walk just like him. But I wanna go back to, to square one because I would be remorsed if I went and I said, you gotta do this and do this. I wanna go all the way back to the beginning. I wanna tell you something is that at the end of the day, all this comes back to one single call. And Jesus says to be with him, to belong to him. So if you're looking, you're trying to figure out, oh, what I gotta do, what I gotta do, you don't have to do, just be with him. And out of that being with him, he will begin to send you out on mission. And when he sends you on a mission, get plugged into a grow group. Would you bow your heads with me? And so I want you to think about just in this, where you're sitting right now, man, where are you spiritually? Where are you in your journey? You know, we've looked at three different invitations Come and see, come check it out. See what Jesus is all about, it's exploratory. And then we said, come and follow me, right? It's this devotion, this commitment, right? To know him personally, to be in community with others, to be engaged in some type of service. And then there's the call to come and be with him that he may send you out. Where are you right now? Where would you say you are in that path? Maybe you got to belong to Jesus today. 
Or maybe today you've been saying, man, I know Jesus. I know that honestly my next step is to be plugged into a grow group. And if that's so, then what I want you to do after I get done praying is I want you to take out the connect card in front of you. I want you to write out your information and say, I want to get plugged into a grow group today. So that we can plug you in and begin to help you grow and be developed as a disciple of Jesus. So I want to pray that God would move our hearts to take our next step. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for everybody here. Pray for myself. God, that you would help us to understand what is our next step. God, remove any distraction, any possession, any apprehension, insecurity, Father, that maybe is hindering us from taking our next step. God, I pray for the person here who doesn't know you intimately, who doesn't even know you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in such a a magnificent way, God, that you would begin to change their life. God, I pray for the one who may have been walking here today and didn't even know what was expected. God, I ask that you would give them such clarity, God, about who you are and what you're calling that person to do. So God, align our hearts with your hearts. God, align our vision with your vision that we may be in alignment with you and what you have for our lives. So God, move us. God, give us courage and faith, Father, to take the necessary steps that we need to take. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen.